Eagles podcast with Charlie Larson. I'm Aaron Sims. We've been off for a little bit, but we've figured this thing out. Uh, Charlie has been the architect of putting the, uh, uh, he's, he's, he's given me the tools. I can, I can use a hammer and a nail, but I can't come up with a design. And Charlie's so good at the design. And then he has the hammers and the nails too, to, to make everything work. So uh, good give, give Charlie, uh, Charlie will give his Venmo out a little bit later. And you Absolutely. Can some, you can send him some dough for, uh, for helping. I'd, I'd be happy to give along. my Venmo out right now. <laughs> Go ahead. Give it out. Like, yeah, 10, 10, 15 times. No, I'm just kidding. I won't do that. That's right. We've got a, a fun sh- a show, and it's nice to be back doing these. We, uh, if As you know, this is the 50th season of Admirals Hockey, and we had been uh, – on top of this for, for quite some time. And then obviously the, the situation that we're all uh, going through happened and uh, we had to put things on pause, but uh, we're getting a little bit of normalcy. And like I said, Charlie has figured out a good way to do this and what better way to come back with a fresh PH and F new podcast than with uh, the Admiral's all-time games played leader, uh, Mark Van Gilder. Mark, uh, great to talk to you. Thanks so much. How are you? How's everybody doing? Everyone's doing great here. Uh, Get a little stir crazy, like like probably everyone else, but uh, life is still good. Yeah. When did, where were you? When did it go down that you found your way back to the to the United States and back to the Milwaukee area? Yeah, that uh, man, that was uh, got a little interesting there for a bit. We were uh, my family and I were in Switzerland this year. Uh, we we're again the European season's like maybe a month ahead of the North American and a little bit sh- shorter. So we were just about to start the second round of the playoffs. We actually played game five of the first round with no fans, which was really strange. I, that must have been totally surreal, huh? Oh, my gosh. It was it was crazy. We we tied the game late in the third uh, with and just dead silence. We won the game in overtime to win the series. And was <laughs> completely quiet. It was so strange. We didn't, could, we you didn't know, laugh. Yeah, could, was, you, when you say that, when you say that, it reminds me, it brings back the, uh, the time you scored the double overtime winner. At the Bradley Center against Texas, could you imagine if it was dead quiet in there? You'd have I just I heard me. You'd have yeah, just heard me. Exactly. Now I can imagine it, and it's terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> it, it, you know, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, Van, but we had uh, two years ago we played Chicago. Their practice arena didn't have uh, doesn't have uh, curved glass, uh, so oh, they. Yeah. Right, so we couldn't play an exhibition game there because it's it's not safe. So we yeah. played it up here, but they came to us at the last second. They're like, hey, can you do this? Sure. So we didn't let any fans in, and there was a fight. Um, it was Matthew Olivier and Garrett Ross, which doesn't matter. Yeah. It, it, I felt like it was like uh, we were there as a staff just doing what our, our job. I felt like we were watching like a bar fight because yeah. like, there's no one there's no one cheering. It's just like two guys fighting out on the ice. It's like this is so weird. This is so surreal. Uh, I can only imagine what it would be like to score an overtime game winner to win a series and not hear anything. Just like yeah, quiet. I, yeah, we scored. And before you celebrate, you kind of look around just to make sure it counts. Like, <laughs> <laughs> is the ref pointing at the net? I think this counts. All right, game's over. We can celebrate. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's so, funny. So that finishes. Yeah, that finished. And it was very strange. All of the series ended in five games. Every everyone played with no fans game five uh, everyone that was leading won, and then we took like a two-week break because then uh the government banned crowds over i think at the time it was maybe a hundred or something like that so uh we took a two two-week break and as the break was about to expire so we're still practicing expecting to play the the i guess the the tv revenue that you know was missing like the tv they wanted us to play fans or no fans we so we were playing on monday so Thursday morning, I wake up, my wife is freaking out. She's saying, there's a travel ban. We got to get home. We got, I don't know, 20 hours or something. I'm like, oh my gosh. Well, we have a game on Monday. I was like, I can't, we can't just leave. So I go to the rink for practice. Long story short, season gets canceled at about 10 a.m. At six that night, we pack everything up. We got on a flight, trained to Zurich, spent the night there, flew out in the morning, got home about seven hours before that, that travel ban went into place, which was which was really great for us. I mean, the traveling with a one-year-old is a little bit challenging. Um, yeah, for my, sure. My wife is amazing. So that 
she's basically traveling with two toddlers. I'm I'm watching movies. I'm doing this, everything. I'm like, oh, this is great. I love flying. She's like, oh yeah, this is really wonderful. But uh, we didn't have to do any screening. The next day, I think at O'Hare, where we flew, there was like an eight to ten hour wait. At yeah, those Custom. pictures were crazy. Yeah, oh, insane. Yeah, that is, but I you... felt so bad for everyone there. But you didn't experience that. No, we. I mean. We had a flight canceled. We had an extra this and that. Like things happen, but it was still smooth. It was like a normal day. A couple people wearing masks. It was like a normal travel day for us. So, you know, uh, shame on Aaron and and I for not establishing this. But tell it. Tell everyone where where you're playing. Oh, I'm. uh, I've been in Visp, Switzerland, for three years now. After leaving Milwaukee, played in Italy. That was awesome. Then in Norway, and now Switzerland. So. We just go to the most beautiful countries in the world. That's kind of our uh, our standard. Yeah, you're going to go to Tahiti next, maybe? <laughs> if there was a Caribbean league, I'd be playing there 100%. But we, thankfully, um, Visp is a, is a great spot. We got a new rink this year. It's beautiful. It's in the, the Alps in Switzerland in the south, uh, really close to Italy. It's, it's, uh, it's a great place to live. How do you leave then? I mean, with with uh, contract situation or whether you're coming back. I mean, do you know any of that stuff now? And obviously, we've talked about this, and people know that uh, those European teams they start a month, maybe six weeks, in front of what they do in North America to start their season. So, what kind of a holding pattern are you in, contract wise and travel wise, if you are returning to that team? Yeah, I th- I think I got pretty lucky i had been talking to the team about re-signing and we just had some small details to work out so the the day i left i uh the season got canceled and i said okay well i'm gonna go pack up my place and when i drop my car off when i'm skateboarding back uh to my apartment let's get this thing signed (laughs) get it taken care of because i didn't want the uncertainty um teams lost a lot of money around europe so i I didn't want to just get stuck with nothing and yeah. of course, I, I I like playing in uh, in Visp. It's a good spot. I love the guys there. Beautiful rink, uh, nice apartment. All this, all it's it's a good place to be. So, uh, we resigned the day that we left. Actually, so I'm going back. I don't know when if the season will start on time. If we'll start at all, but hopefully it does, and uh, everything will be all right. Who who else are some who are some of the other guys on the team that you know people Admirals fans might know of any other American League guys there or guys played North American Pro? Well, in in this there's only two imports in this league so, per team for, per team. So I played with a guy Dan Kissel. I played with at Notre Dame uh, my first two years there. This last year Troy Josephs uh, was my uh, my left winger, really good player. He was a draft pick of the Penguins. He was uh, I think up and down. Um, sure. In the American League, uh, last couple of years before this, had some shoulder injuries, some issues, whatever. He ended up coming over. It was a great fit. Uh, we had a good year. He's a good guy. So, uh, is, is he American that, or Canadian? He's Canadian. He's from the Toronto area. So, okay, good player, fast, uh, strong, physical, um, good guy. So it worked out. It was, it's been good. I've had good good teammates there all three years. But other than that, it's all all Swiss guys. Sorry, Aaron. All yeah, Swiss no, that's guys, okay. Yeah, all Swiss guys. Yeah. So, what is the? You and I have talked about this before. Charlie's Charlie's talked with you about this before. But explain what is there a culture shock when you go, or is it after you've done Italy, Northern Italy and Norway and Switzerland? It's it's kind of old hat. Yeah, you get you get kind of used to it. When I when we moved to Italy, we were in uh, a sm- really small town, like up on a mountain, and it was I did not know. I was like, Brand, I don't know if I don't know what I'm doing here. Like, what the <laughs> heck's going on? Why is nothing open from twelve to three in the afternoon? Where is everyone? <laughs> like, why is the grocery store always closed? There's no, it's a ghost town by six fifteen p.m. Um, so it was a really big shock for me cause I'd never really been out of, I'd never been out of North America in my life. Thankfully, my wife was a little more traveled than I was. She kind of took control and said, it's going to be fine. It's look like, just look around for a second. This we're in the, one of the most beautiful places in the world. Yeah, You're in the middle of sound of music. Yeah, it was, it, it truly was amazing. And I, it, it w- didn't take long to kind of settle in. And honestly, we, I think we cried that first time we left, when we left Italy uh, at the end of the season. We loved it there. It was amazing. 
and and since then of course each place you go to you got to figure out like the language a little bit getting by most people people speak english at least a little bit enough to get by but the language and where to go how to you know getting your groceries getting your meat getting your vegetables all that kind of stuff is always kind of a bit of a challenge but now it's it's fun we we like doing it and going to new places is uh exciting for us what what's the language in the locker room in uh in switzerland the last few years in visp yeah they speak swiss german and you'd think before i went i was i was dumb i don't know what's going on i was trying to learn italian before i went to italy and they speak german up in the mountains there so i don't, I don't know what's going on <laughs> so you came in fresh with all sorts of italian sayings oh, yeah. and everyone's like vas vas yeah i had about three or four ready to go and the guys are looking at me like you are an idiot um, but in switzerland the I thought Swiss German's probably pretty much the same as German. It's not. They, <laughs> it's not at all. Not that I speak German, but it's it. They make it's not a written language. They just make it up as they go. They spell things however they want. They say it however they want. It is crazy. There's no like real kind of rules to it. So, it's, I guess it's, it. It sort of reminds me of the difference between French and French Canadian. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That, and I yeah. mean. I was going to say, we've taken players to the French Immersion School in Milwaukee, and uh, I can't remember which guy it was. We, we came out of there, and, he, and I said, what was the teacher saying to you at the end? He's like, I have no idea. She was yeah. just speaking straight French. Yeah. And I was like, well, could have fooled me. Yeah, there, there's uh, French Canadians uh, imports in that league, and they say it's completely different because in the if you drive about 45 minutes west of where I'm in Visp, it's French speaking, and they say it's completely different. Yeah, I, I believe that. For sure. So uh, let's rewind here, uh, Mark, for, you know, what, uh, maybe 15 years or so. And because uh, this is an Admiral's podcast. Yeah, can you yeah. believe that? 15 Great. years, yeah. Uh, this is an Admiral's podcast as opposed to a uh, uh, a Visp. What was the Visp? <laughs> What's your nickname in Visp? Uh, or the Lions. The Visp Lions. Yeah. So... Uh, let's just talk about how you ended up in Milwaukee. You went, you got, you, you know, you're, uh, uh, like I've told a million people, a three time all state athlete in Minnesota, you end up at Notre Dame, which is an interesting story to, to begin with. Well, maybe, how about you just start with that? Tell us the story about how you ended up at Notre Dame, uh, for college. Um, man, that was, I got really lucky there. That's for sure. I, uh, I was playing in, uh, the USHL in Tri-City and I had three guys on my team that were committed to Notre Dame already. And uh, the assistant coach, Andy Slaggart, who was just a great guy, great coach, he uh, he he told us, well, I got to go watch these guys play one more time. It's been months. I haven't seen him. And, and she's like, well, I'm, I'm pregnant and we have a kid. Like, what, you're just going to go to Kearney, Nebraska for no reason? <laughs> you guys are already committed. <laughs> Thankfully, he ended up coming. I was playing with really good players at the time, Bill Thomas, Ryan Dingle, uh, Nebraska Omaha guy, and uh, uh, Denver. They're great players, and they uh, we were kind of hot at the time, and I had a good game. Uh, Slaggart was there, saw, saw me playing. A week later, I was committed, and uh, I did it just out of nowhere. I was 20 years old, had nothing, toward, almost the end of the season, and then suddenly it just kind of happened. So, uh, man, that was that was kind of crazy. What would um, you have done had Notre Dame, had, had Andy Slaggart not shown up? I actually have never even – thought of that in my like did you have a d3 you go back to minnesota you know minnesota and play d3 hockey somewhere like st thomas or i mean anything like that um not really i i had talked to michigan tech a little bit um yukon or something something like that okay Uh, there was a couple things going on but honestly i was it 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 just kind of fell into place so quickly that I haven't really thought about that since since then. So then you end up you end up in Notre Dame, uh, and you get to Notre Dame, and the team's really bad, right? And by the time you leave, they're pretty good. Yeah, uh, we are terrible my freshman year, which is strange. We had some good players. Um, uh, a small senior senior class, though. I think that was maybe tough for them. They were good players. But, um, Corey McLean was our captain. He was a, he was a good player. But the poor guy just had not a lot of uh, – We it's just a very young team, and we struggled that year. Um, by the time my senior year, we had a coaching change. 
um, really a culture change altogether. And uh, unfortunately came up one game short against Boston College in the national championship game. But it was crazy going from winning five games to – Oh, to make into the Frozen Four, and exactly. yeah, yeah, it was crazy. It was a crazy ride. So, you're not drafted. Yeah. What? What? You you graduate? Uh, you graduate in 08. What do you do? Like, what's going through your mind? What's? Did you yeah, think it was hockey in the future? Was was there definitely an option there? Well, obviously there was, but what was the option? Yeah, that was a very awkward time for me because I was like, well, I'm I'm going to play hockey. And people would ask me, what are you doing next year? I was like, I'm playing hockey. They said, oh, where are you playing? <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll I get back have, to you on that one. Yeah, I have no idea. They're like, oh, sure, yeah, it sounds like you're playing hockey. Um, so, But it, I, my agent, I guess it was talking to teams out, you know, everywhere. Talked, he said if American League thing, deals weren't really happening. And he finally called me and said, listen, like, let's sign it. You're going to sign sign in Cincinnati and go to Milwaukee. It's a, I think you'll like it. Uh, he's like, you're going to love the coaching staff. And he was right about that. Lane Lambert was there at the time. Um, he's like, you're going to like the town. It's just a good situation for, uh, for like a tryout camp. If it goes well, it, it'll, it'll work out. If not, Cincinnati's a great place to play. They're always good. They got a nice rank. I was like, okay, sure. Sounds good. So that's basically how that happened. And seven years so- later, <laughs> When do though? Because you weren't really officially Milwaukee, because you had a game with a game or two with Hamilton in the middle there. Yeah, that first year, I, I just came to, to basically on a PTO, played five games. I, I guess I made the team out of training camp, whatever that even means. Um, played five games, then got sent down, um, and then I spent most of that first year in Cincinnati, which was actually is a great place to play in an awesome town. Uh, I get, I did get, I was on an East coast deal. So I got called up. I could get called up any team. Cincinnati was a dual affiliate at the time. Right. I don't know if they still are. No, um, no, but they were, you're right. Yeah. So I ended up going up to, to Hamilton for three games, um, which was quite an experience, uh, playing in, in Canada. It's a completely different <laughs> ball game. The Canadians minor league team, that, that place is, they're nuts. They're absolutely crazy. I think the coach got fired. Um, when I was there, so it was an absolute zoo. But I had to come back. <laughs> you know what? To, uh, you're you're only you're only in Hamilton for like three or five games, yeah. and while you're there, the coach gets gassed. Yeah, there was a coaching change in Montreal, and the coach in Hamilton went up. I and then I got sent down. I was like, oh my gosh, I, this is too stressful. I got to get me out of here. Uh, <laughs> get me back to Milwaukee. <laughs> Um, so then, then the next year I kind of was my first kind of mo- full year in, in Milwaukee. I was, I, I ended up playing at a handful of games in Cincinnati that year, but I was in Milwaukee for, I think most of the season and playoffs. Um, but then went down, uh, after we lost to Chicago in seven games in the playoffs and, uh, we ended up winning the championship in Cincinnati, which was awesome and a, a ton of fun. Um, which, and then, yeah, go ahead, I, I think that's an interesting a really interesting story because who we play game seven in Chicago, we lose. And then you, I think, and James, I think was it James Sixsmith and Mike Bartlett hop on a plane, all, all admirals lose game seven. You hop on a plane and play against each other. Was it the next night? The next night we played game six in South Carolina. Was it Reed Cashman? I I can't remember. Uh, Yeah. I, I was just, that's from memory. I think it was cash. Yeah. Yeah, Cashman and Mike Bartlett. Yeah. <laughs> I played with Bartlett in uh, Notre Dame, and we played together in Milwaukee. That was fun. And then we played against each other in game six. They won game six. We played game seven the night after that. So game seven in Chicago, game six, game seven the next two nights. That was a tough three and three in the yeah. <laughs> ending in South Carolina. And we ended yeah, up winning in, game in seven. In the playoffs, nonetheless. Yeah, we, we won game seven. I don't remember what day of the week it was, but we won game seven. I we, I think I flew back to Milwaukee, packed up my entire apartment, drove to Cincinnati the day after, and then we played the next day game one of the conference finals. What a, <laughs> what a wonderful experience but it is playing in the coast. People don't but, understand how glamorous yeah. hockey, pro hockey is, huh? Oh, my gosh. I still say every first-round draft pick should have to play five games in the coast just to appreciate <laughs> Get on the bus at 10 p.m. so you don't have to spend the night in a hotel. Exactly. Oh, through the you night. Guys are gonna, yeah, you guys are going to love this. Three guys to a bunk. We're, we're going to wake up and who knows where and 
and uh, play a game. Get off for uh, a boarding skate. Get up and go boarding skate. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> a lot of Mark fun Van... looking back fun, but not. Yes, not exactly. Mark Van Gilder joining us here. It's the Milwaukee Admirals podcast. So you make yourself a, a regular in Milwaukee and, and a couple of highlights along the way, certainly. Uh, one, we just... I don't know if celebrate is the right word, uh, but with the commemorated anyway, the uh, April Fool's Day uh, bench clearing brawl in 2012 with uh, with the Rockford Ice Hogs. And I remember vividly talking to you about how you tried to find some. You said you try to find somebody, you know, and hold on. Oh, yeah, exactly. There is guys coming out of the penalty box. There's a pile there. It was absolute chaos. And I, I think we had like. Oh man, we had a, a very quick response to that that uh, <laughs> that exchange at our at, uh, with by Jeremy Smith. So there is like a pile of our guys on top of their guys. So now you're just trying to find someone that's trying to get one of your guys from behind and say just grab them by the by the arms so nobody gets suckered in the back of the head. That was that was crazy. I just remember that- my favorite part of that was Michael Latta cruising around. He had no elbow pads on, no jersey, no helmet or gloves. Because he just, he, just, he just came out of the box. He just had a five-minute major for fighting. And he's cruising around. I've never seen him skate so fast out of the box. He's, he's looking for anyone. He's grabbing one guy. Oh, not good enough. Went to the next guy. Went to the next guy. That, yeah, that right. Was, like he lifts his head up and it's like, oh, this guy's dead. Yeah. Like, oh, uh, we don't want him. Let me give it another guy. Yeah. Oh, this guy's not tough enough. That uh, pass. Hey, Van, you grab this guy. Uh, I got. I'll go over. It was crazy. That was nuts. I don't think. And le- I. I. I'm of the belief, and because I. And basically, it's because I didn't see it. It was during a commercial break, uh, during a media timeout, and uh, I always thought, okay, Rob Flick went after Jeremy Smith, and then to hear the stories soon thereafter that it was Smitty seeing the reflection of Rob Flick, and he turned around and popped him one. I mean that. Like I, that never, that never occurred to me. Doug Agnew said he saw it all the way. Did you see that all the way? I didn't see that, but I have, I got some inside information years later on this whole event. We'll leave names out of it, but (laughs) I heard somebody was told to get in our goalie's head and he maybe took it the wrong way. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll go right now and do it. I don't know yeah. what, what he was thinking. Uh, the TV timeout is a good time to get in the goalie's head. Um, I think he was supposed to do it during play, maybe get in front of him, screen him. I don't know, something yeah. like that. But Slap him in the knees a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. That's, not, that's not how he took it. So I think uh, <laughs> he must have said something. That's, that's great. That's great. I didn't hear that If you know Jeremy it. Smith. Yeah, if you know Jeremy Smith, he might not. Have, he didn't really need to say much. To, no. <laughs> to get him to get Smitty going. No, that's so no. Good. That's so good. That's so good. The other one I want to talk about, and I met, we mentioned it before, but was the uh, the series against Texas. And if I'm uh, where you, where you had the double overtime game winner, um, it's a grind to play a playoff game in hockey. It's a grind to play professional hockey anyway. But to get into double overtime, I mean, how? Yeah, you're talking about 35, 40 minutes of ice time uh, that 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 a forward yeah. is playing. I mean, that's that's a that's a chore. That that was a great series, and I think the best part of that series was the previous two games were just as nuts. I think. Yeah. When we went, to I remember Texas, Gabriel I think- Bork. I remember Gabriel Bork standing in front of the net with you know it seemed like it was a four three game. They were ahead, and all of a sudden, like Gabby Bork puts one in from the front of the goal and it's a 4-4 and then it's a quick 5-4 it was crazy it was nuts i think uh one game there they scored with a couple seconds left in the third and ended up winning in overtime and they're like oh they're oh this one's over how can you come back from like a game like we end up tying the next game late winning it in overtime it was not and then we came home and for the double overtime game so that was a crazy series uh but a lot of always fun to score in overtime to in the playoffs to end a series. That was that was pretty cool. It was such you a know, good play by Ryan Fang. Yeah, to it really the puck where he did, right? Yeah. If you watch the replay of that, they like they were there one of their guys was skating out of the zone and he tracked him down, I think like almost dove on one knee and stole the puck from him with one hand on the stick. And then and then came down before even before even like got the shot on goal. It was a great play um by Fanger. Um, a lot of people kind of probably missed that, but 
And the rebound, and it, the rebound came right on my stick. I didn't have much. The rebound was perfect. Yeah, no, the shot was perfect. The pass yeah. off the pads. Yeah, yes. it was great. Exactly. Exactly. So Mark Van Gilder joining us on the Milwaukee Admirals podcast. When you you, you mentioned playing for Lane, I mean Lane Lambert, Brad Lauer, um, those guys. Ian Herbers came in obviously uh, in that stretch. Dean Evason. Um, Kirk Muller, Kirk wasn't here very long, and I'm curious your take on uh, on playing for Kirk when he was here, and and uh, I mean it was what 20, 23 games, was that right, Charlie? Something yeah, like that. 10, 20, yeah, ten six 11, and one. I think we were okay. 17 so seventeen games. games, seventeen games. Yeah, I mean that was you talked about being in Hamilton and the coach got promoted and fired or whatever. I mean, what what was it like? Kirk was probably on that staff in Montreal. Now that you think about it. Yeah. Um, but what, what was it like to have 17 games and then Kirk? Obviously, you don't fault a guy going to the NHL, but what was that situation like for you when you're in Carolina or in Charlotte and mm-hmm. the coach isn't coming back with you? Yeah, that was a bit strange. Um, Personality-wise, going from him to Ian Herbers was also a bit of an adjustment. Oh, gosh, um, I can only imagine. <laughs> uh, both good guys, but it was very, very different personalities, different coaches. But on, honestly – you want to see your teammates move on. Like you're not upset when a guy goes to play in the NHL. You're definitely not upset for about him going to coach the, the Hurricanes. Like, of course, no one's like upset about that. But definitely, it was, it was strange so early in the season too. And I feel like we were just starting to kind of figure out his style. I, we were scoring goals too. Like he was a really good coach. Yeah. It was interesting. I, I was at the beginning of the season. I remember because he was the hot. He was the hot commodity that that for the for a couple of years to be a head coach in the NHL and it didn't work out for him so he signs on with the Predators in, in Milwaukee and I remember the first trip to Nashville or to uh, Peoria and I'm I'm sitting two seats behind him and I'm looking at him and I, I can just I could just see the thought bubble above his head after as we got to like Oak Creek about what have I done? What have I signed up for? Oh, it was four and a half hour bus ride to Peoria, Illinois. I could yeah. just see it. I, I know. I know how you feel. I think like, I don't know. He probably didn't pack anything when he, when he, when he signed. I think there was just nothing. He just took off. Just a trip. Uh, a trail of smoke behind him. He went with he went with what with the clothes on his back. But I actually really liked playing for him. He was a good coach, and he had a, yeah. little, a little different philosophy offensively that we, that we were kind of just starting to figure out. Um, so it, it was fun. It's too bad he wasn't there longer, really. But hey, of course, you're not going to fault the guy for going to the NHL. I, get, do a little X's and O's then. What was the different philosophy? Obviously, you come from Lane to to Kirk Muller, and Lane's an outstanding coach. And and I, I want to talk about Kirk because we never talk about Kirk when, when <laughs> we do this. We always talk about we talk about Lane. We talk about Claude Noel. We talk about Dean Evason. We never Kirk was here 17 games. We never talk about Kirk. So I'm just curious. Uh, a little more about him as a coach. Yeah, I guess the one of the biggest difference offensively is if you you're coming up the wall with the puck and we would throw the puck back down low in the corner, he'd blow the whistle and practice. Like, what are you doing that for? Like, that's 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 use. It's not doing anything. You're, everyone knows you're throwing the puck there. You're throwing it into more traffic. How are you supposed to score from the corner? He wanted us to bring the puck up. He wanted us to make a play. He wanted the defenseman to move. It was really it was really interesting. It was more, a little more creative. He just said, like, if you got the puck, make a play. Like, stop throwing it down into the corner. And that's a forward's dream to hear a coach say something like that. Like, <laughs> make a play. Like, be more creative. I'd never heard anyone say that in my life, but that that was – it was different. And we turned the puck over a lot early for sure, but we got a little more used to it. Like, hey, if you don't have anything, turn it, throw it on that, or throw it to the, like, weak side corner, have the other defenseman get it, something like that. So, we, I think we were starting to figure out uh, like what he was talking about, right about the time he ended up leaving town. Then he ends up bolting. Yeah, right. <laughs> did, so did so did Her, did Herbie change things up? Then did you go back to something different right away, or did it was it was he trying to keep the same thing since you had a quarter of the season that in that direction? Yeah, I think like most coaches taking over during the season, you try to like one keep things going that are working, and two implement kind of your own style. So I think. He did a pretty good job. That's a tough thing to do that early right. into the season. Just like you, you can't change everything, but also like if if that's if you're not comfortable coaching that way, you can't just like you can't keep doing it exactly. So that was kind of a tough spot for him. He handled it pretty well. I think 
it was a little bit of both by the end of the season. I think it was a little bit more traditional cycle hockey in the offensive zone, which most yeah. teams do. So, yeah. But. What, what, what was it like for you coming in to have to play for a guy like Lane Lambert, maybe one of the most intense people, probably the most intense person I've ever met in my life? Yeah. Like, was was it intimidating when he would he like sometimes also when he talks to you, his voice is it's like he's yelling, but he's not really yelling. How do you determine <laughs> what's happening? Uh, it's hard to tell one from the other. He's, either, he's really happy. He's really angry or he's in between. It sounds the same. He was an awesome coach. Let me I'm, I'll tell you, he he was so detailed for a, a young guy. Like sometimes he was intimidating, of course. He demanded a lot. Yes, I was afraid to miss a pass in practice. Uh, you know, yes, I was afraid to not be in front of the goalie when there's a shot from the point. But that made me better, really. It, it really did make me better. He was so detailed. When the game started, there was no question. You're lining up D-zone faceoff. You knew it was happening on a, a win. If the other team – you knew every faceoff play they, they'd run in the last three years. Like you knew what every, every – <laughs> You've gone over it all. Exactly. You'd gone over everything. There was no question. Like, is the, there's, it's not a surprise that we were a good hockey team with him because he worked hard and he demanded the same from us. And every guy, whether you liked him or not, I did like him. Every guy respected him. That's for sure. Right. He was great. There was the, there was the great story about uh, Chris Chelios uh, when he played for the Chicago Wolves saying something – about the adjustments Lane made between the first and second period in a game at Allstate Arena were the best adjustments he'd ever seen in his pro career. Yeah, that's, do that's rem- saying something. Yeah, right? I mean, do you, but, but do you remember ever hearing something like that or no? Uh, I don't recall, but it doesn't surprise me because Lane, this is something that a lot of coaches, you know, it, it's just human nature. Coaches don't want to change things a lot of the time. They right. want to be right the first time. Right. Which is the same, probably the same with every player and everyone in the world. But he he worked hard. He prepared us. But he did not have – he was not too proud to change everything if it wasn't working. If it's not working, he would change it immediately in between shifts, in between periods. That's just the kind of coach he was. He uh, he did a great job. I loved playing for him. I, I really did. And speaking of intense, the only guy I saw like kind of not unfazed by this – I kind of a good. I got to. Okay, I got to tell the story. Dave Scatcherd. Remember yeah. Dave we. Yeah, for sure. We had a practice at uh, at the Kern Center one one day, and if it wasn't sharp from the beginning, Lane would have a meltdown, and then it got sharp really quickly. Um, right. So it, we had some like four corners, like uh, whole using the whole sheet of ice. Some drill it doesn't even matter what drill it was, but it was a really long pass down the ice. You skate. Pass, pass, get it back, go down, shoot, whatever. We were kind of – a couple guys missed some passes. There were some saucer passes being thrown. Guys weren't taking it seriously. And he lost it, blew the whistle, absolutely gave it to us. He's like, next one – next – I dare you guys, miss one more pass. I dare you. Everyone's going to be on the line. We'll be here all day. <laughs> so I, I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, thankfully, I'm four guys back in line. I got, yeah, right. I got enough time to get myself under control. He blows the whistle. Dave Scatchers is up. I've never seen a guy throw a higher sauce in my entire life. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. He threw probably a 15-foot saucer pass all the way down the ice and skated down the ice with a smile on his face. I couldn't believe it. I, I couldn't believe the balls it took to do that. But it was right on the tape. It was a perfect pass. It was right on the tape. And the practice kind of went on. And we didn't talk about it till after practice when Lane was not around. But I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Is that what happened? You you go back to the locker room and everyone's like, Sketch, what was up with that? What was going on there? And everyone's like. Oh, yeah, exactly. You don't want to laugh on the ice when Lane. (laughs) That's for sure. You'll be in Cincinnati or who knows where before you know it. But you wait till, you know, everyone's got their skates off. Everyone cools off in the locker room. Lane's, make sure the office door is closed to the coach's room. They're like, what, dude, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? <laughs> we are uh, we are right around the anniversary of the game where Scatchard scored four goals and had an assist for the Admirals and an eight one win over Chicago. It was right around this time. But I- am I telling tales out of school or do I have this wrong? And, and maybe you don't. I'm well. I'm assuming you know. But did wasn't Dave Scatchard involved every so often in that card game with Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt and all those guys? 
I've heard, I swear that was I've, the story. I've heard so many stories about this guy. I have no <laughs> idea which ones are true and which ones aren't. They all sound kind of the same. And like you said, there's a head of state or a famous actor or someone involved in every single yeah. story. Every, everyone. Everyone, yeah. Everyone. Everyone. <laughs> I heard stories but about they- Gordy Howe, too. I don't know how he knows all these people. <laughs> no, he played. He played a lot of games in the NHL, right? He scored he twenty-one years for the Islanders. I mean, yeah, he did. Uh, he had a nice career, and he, he had a great smile, like whitest teeth I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, yeah. he was a lot of fun. He was a lot of fun to, to play with. He was a good, good guy. player. Yeah. Good player. Yeah. yeah. So, Van, you go. Uh, how did you make the jump from ECHL player to part-time AHL player to full-time AHL player? You know. You're not obviously you're not a you were never a first line guy in Milwaukee, but you were a responsible guy. You're getting out there. It's a defensive zone draw with two minutes to go in the game, and yeah. you're out there. Yeah, basically I, basically I learned what I had to do to get on the ice. Is what is what happened. I, I was a college guy. I hadn't really blocked a shot in my life. Um, I hadn't won a lot of faceoffs. I didn't even play center most of my life. But I kind of learned what I had to do, and I told myself, like, if I want to play in this league, I got to do something to get on the ice. And with Lane Lambert, um, it was pretty clear. He made it very clear what you had to do. So that was, a, I thought, like a really good coach to play for. Um, I knew I, I had to block shots. I had to be good in the penalty kill. I had to win faceoffs. And when I started doing that, I found myself on the ice more. All of a sudden, I was in the lineup every night. You know, I was, okay, I was 60% through the first 15 games of the season. So I was on the ice at the end of the game, taking a D zone face off. I was even right. maybe on the ice with 15 seconds left to take an ozone draw. Like, okay, man, win the draw and then get out of everyone's way. Go stand in front of the goalie or something. Okay. Like that. Doing so the you do it. Thing. Yeah, exactly. You do the things you have to do. I kind of accepted the fact that I wasn't going to be a goal scorer in the American league. I wasn't going to have 20 goals. I wasn't going to play in the half fall on the power play, which is fine. So I just kind of figured out what I had to do. And slowly I kind of, um, I guess, found myself on the ice more. And I I still remember my first penalty kill shift of my American League career. You guys probably won't remember this. Nothing really happened. We were in Grand Rapids. I don't know. It was halfway through the season. I was out there. Halfway through what? Halfway through your first, through the 08-09 season. Uh, no, halfway no. through the nine, nine, ten, nine, nine, ten, yeah, nine, ten, yeah. So it's like I don't know. Maybe it was after Christmas. Might have been after Christmas. Uh, maybe I think it was actually. I hadn't killed a penalty all year. I get out there and their guy on the half wall. I was the on the strong side. The guy walks off the half wall. I didn't push back. Like I, I, I let him kind of walk off the wall into the middle of the ice and shoot. Whatever. Our goalie made a save. We iced it. I get off the ice and Lane is waiting for me in front of the bench. <laughs> in between the bench and the boards i was like i was like I, I this has to be about me this is not good he absolutely gave it to me he, he had the board he had the whiteboard in his hand spit was flying everywhere his tie, his tie got tangled up in his in the marker a couple times i don't know what was going on but he gave it to me i didn't kill a penalty the next i don't know five or six games but the the next time I did, you can you better be sure. Like I I did it exactly right. I knew what I was you, doing. I was ready. I that was you attacked the guy for, uh, that was coming off the half wall. That's what he wanted you to do. Yes, he didn't want me to let him walk to the middle and get a good shot. He wanted me to push back, make make him move the puck, make him make a pass through me, like make basically make him do something other than just walk to the middle and shoot and shoot. Sure. Yeah. So the next I. I did not make that mistake. I don't think the rest of my career because I was so embarrassed. He's standing in front of guys, just screaming at me. But that—it's almost. The... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go. No, I was just gonna say it's almost like when you come home and you know you've from school and you knew you got in trouble, but you hope the principal didn't call your parents. Up, uh oh, there's your mom waiting at yeah. the door when you come in. It's like, oh god. Exactly. I saw him when I was about to get off. I was like, can I kind of U-turn and go and stay out here for a little longer? Can I maybe, I don't know, go by the D? I don't but there's no no hiding from him, that's for sure. But he he was a really good coach. I didn't make that mistake the rest of my career because I had that in the back of my head before I got on the ice from then on. I uh, that one 
one mo- moment I remember about Lane, I'm sure you were in this game. We we played Rockford. We were up 5-0 in the first period. Oh, man. And, yeah, I, you know exactly the game I'm talking about. Yeah. And this is in April, I think. It's it's at the end of the season. We're up 5-0, and then we coast. Yeah. And guys downshift to, 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 you know, to third gear. And we end up winning 5-4, but it was a scramble. And I came in the locker room afterwards and I'm standing by the changing stall, so he doesn't know I'm in there. And I don't do—I didn't do this very often. I don't know why I did this game. And I don't—I don't ever remember hearing a guy so mad oh, uh, at, at a game before. I—I I was just—I was scared, and he couldn't even see me. I was scared he was going to come around the corner and see me there, and like and beat me up I'm, yeah, just for being there. I'm sure you did something wrong too that game, and I'm sure he knew about it. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure I did. Um, yeah. yeah, he was. Yeah, he was a, a very fiery guy, but he was fair, man. Like, he was a really fair coach. Like if we, like, if we coast, think like through the second and third, and almost blow a five goal lead, you kind of deserve to to hear about to get it, rinsed actually. a little yeah. bit, yeah. And you know the next practice is going to be an absolute battle. So and it, and when we played well, life was great. Like that's how it goes. I remember him. Um, sometimes he, Hugh Jessman was around. Like we were playing well, and morning morning skate, he'd say Huey. How long, how, how long do you need today? And he would say, ah, 12 minutes. He's like, okay. Pre-game skate would be 12 minutes long. He, it, that's just the kind of coach he was when we were playing well, when we were playing hard. Win or lose, well, mostly we just win but with him. But when we played the right way and played hard, he, he respected us and he treated us well. And when we needed to get kicked in the ass, he, he did it. So you can't really argue with a, a guy like that. You had a shot at that 2011 team. Do you think you left one on the table there? That uh, that was such a good club, that 2011 team. Yeah, yeah, that was, Matt. We 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 kind of had. We, that was maybe most well-rounded team. We were good at everything. We were just we we played the game right. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I would say so. this. Was it an issue that you got, that we beat Houston so easily in Game Six? That it was like, oh my God, are these these guys must be given up. They can't. Was is or am I just off base on that? Like, uh, uh, I think that maybe there's something to that for the first period or so. But after yeah. that, I mean, I think everyone knows what kind of opponent you're playing. Like, maybe maybe that you a team can sneak up on you if you're not ready in the first five ten minutes. But after that, I don't think so. That was a great hockey game. That game game seven against. Uh, Houston. We had probably four grade A chances. The shift they scored, the game-winning goal, and for yeah. sure we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were a, we were a good team. They were a good team too. But that was that was tough. I, th- I feel like we could have done something. We would have got through that that round. Yeah. Who did Who Our did Houston Gilbert joining us? Oh, sorry, ahead. Aaron. No, no. I was just going to say, who did Houston play in the next round? Manitoba. Manitoba. That, yeah, because yeah. that was the. I think that was the series that it was. Uh, uh, Herkus and Mike Keane were two of the top ten scorers in in uh, the American oh, in Hockey the H- playoffs that yeah. that, that spring. And then they lost to Bingo in the finals. Right. As, yep, I, I, I believe, believe so. That's, that's Binghamton correct. won it that yep. year. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. So. Go ahead, Aaron. So Sorry, we I talked cut you about, off. about uh, we talked about Lane. Uh, let's let's shift gears to playing for Dean Evason and Stan Drulia. Yeah. Um, man. Dean, like I say, fair coach. Dean was a great coach as well. I and probably the best dressed human I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> really, this guy, like just that's high praise behind the bench. He takes he takes it seriously, and you know it too because sometimes he come in the locker room before like a big game. He say, "Uh, uh, sis, uh, where'd you get those shoes?" Says, uh, I don't know. Um, what you know? What someone? Oh my God! He he loved like ha- having the best shoes, the best suit, the best everything. He would ask guys where they got stuff, and he would go get it. He was a great like he. And I think I think guys respected him for it too. You you got you see a guy walk in the locker room before a game, and he's sloppy, shirt untucked. I don't know. I think maybe it affects your team a little bit. <laughs> it's the coach from Letterkenny. Yeah, this guy <laughs> was not messing around. He came in dressed to the nines. Every game, it didn't matter where you were. Three and three, last last you know last game in Iowa, no sleep. He looked like he was ready. He was ready to go, man. Every time, and he definitely brought Stan's game up because Stan was a sweat sweat, <laughs> sweat suit guy before Dean got there. So, uh, 
He not only made his players better, he made the coaching staff better too. That's for sure. I I always see that I see similarities in the way Dean and Lane coached with the, as yeah. far as their intensity and what they asked of their players and maybe it comes yeah. back to the way that they played that they were they had to battle and they had to Rock and you know, burn, they were, yeah. yeah exactly yeah. they were tweeners between the NHL and the AHL and when you do that you gotta you, you gotta play for every scrap you that find you find your get. niche you find your niche you find your niche you find your role. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think when you're a guy like that, the details matter to you because you have to make a career out of yourself. Like You have to somehow find your way. So you spend your whole career doing that. It's natural to just to coach that same way. Dean was a very similar to Lane, a little bit different. He wouldn't get quite as riled up as, as Lane would, but oh, a yeah. couple times he snapped pretty good. I remember one game at Rockford we lost late. He kicked a garbage can across the locker room. He was He was pissed. But, again, a really fair coach. We absolutely laid an egg at home once. I think it was a concert night. We had about 12,000 fans or something. We were terrible. He came in the, the, the locker room after the game. Like, he was calm. And I, I think it make him, maybe took him 15 minutes to calm down. But he said, <laughs> be ready tomorrow, guys. Like, if you don't want to work hard in front of 12,000 people, we'll do it in front of zero at the current center. The next, he sat, I think he stood on the red line, didn't say a word the entire practice, entire hour, just blew his whistle. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. But at the end of the hour, he, he brought us in, still not upset. I, of course he was upset, but still not fired up and said, hey guys, like, why don't we just work that hard every night? Like, why don't you work that hard at home in front of, you know, a sold out building? Like, and we were like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. No one's pissed. No one's like, oh, this is BS. Like, he made a great, he made a good point, and we got what we deserved, and then we were better the next game. Uh, so uh, this is a the, the thirteen fourteen team um, was uh, the, that was the year that not the first thirteen fourteen team, but the thirteen fourteen season. That's the year you play your game and you play a game in the NHL. You get called up. Yeah. Uh, take us through how that happened. Did you expect it to happen? And then, like, just tell us the story of your of playing your first NHL game, including like how you got yeah. called up, like how you heard about it. Yeah, uh, let me tell you. After four hundred plus games in the minors, you do not expect to get called up. I'll tell you that much. Um, I. I, at the time, I think we were playing pretty well. We just got back from a, a pretty good road trip. I remember I, I took a shot on my foot, and it was not really doing well. So I remember it kind of it was getting worse and worse. And that morning, it was a Saturday morning, we played the next day. Um, and we had kind of like an optional going on. Some, I don't remember what was going on Saturday morning. But I was headed to Aggie's office to tell him, like, I can't do this anymore. Like, my foot is killing me. I think it's getting worse. He said, oh, yeah, we'll talk after meeting. I go sit down, and we have a quick meeting. And at the end of the meeting, Coach Dean says, oh, yeah, and by the way, Van got called up. I was like, holy – just out of nowhere, out of the blue. I couldn't believe – I was shell-shocked. And I know Dean did this. I think a lot of guys go up to Coach's office. He tells them privately. They're, they come down. They pack their bag. They go I, – I know he – he wanted to make that special for me to share with my teammates because it took, kind of took me so long that that was actually a really, a really classy thing to do. An awesome way to kind of find out all my teammates. It was like kind of like a hog pie. It was like an OT winner. Like everyone's over at my stall congratulating me. I don't know what's going on. It was a really, really special moment. Um, and then suddenly my foot felt much better. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sure it did, right? <laughs> Actually, Ags was like, "What did you want to talk to me about?" Oh, nothing. I'm I'm great. I'll see, I'll see you later. Um, so that that kind of all really happened fast. I was in Nashville the next the next night. Thankfully, my my wife we were dating at the time. She was traveling for work. She was home. Thankfully, I was so happy. It was a weekend. She was able to come with me. She just got off a flight from, I don't know, Little Rock, Arkansas, Dallas. I don't know where she was at the time. But th thankfully, she I convinced her to get on another flight to Nashville. Um, so that was nice because I was pretty nervous. I uh, Looking back, I guess, I, I don't know. I played so many games that like you don't think you're going to be nervous. But I was actually really nervous, even checking my bag at the airport. 
uh, before I even got down there. So I'm glad she was there with me to kind of calm me down. Yeah. Were you look? Were you yeah. like so looking you, for to make sure you had all your sticks, or you didn't forget your helmet, or your, your or your skates, or whatever, or whatnot? That was the least of my worries. I knew there was going to be plenty of equipment there. I was afraid I was going to make a complete fool of myself in my first shift. That was more what I was worried about. But uh, <laughs> it was actually it was nice. I'll, I know more than half the team was in Milwaukee already. I knew these guys. Guys were congratulating me before I got there. At pregame, or even before, like pregame skate that night, I don't know. I think five or six guys texted me, asked me if I needed a ride the next morning. It was actually really a, a, a great experience in the locker room. Everyone was, it was, I don't know, it was great to see like all my friends I played with in Milwaukee kind of just so happy for me. It was, it was fun. It was a good you time. Said, you said you didn't want to be a fool on your first shift. Wasn't your first shift lining up with Ovechkin? Man, it could have been. I remember killing penalties against against Ovechkin. And speaking <laughs> speaking of Lane, we we had a PK shift uh, after after pregame skate. We went through the PK shift. Everyone left, and Lane said, "Hey, hey, Van, stick around here." We had another 10 to 15 minutes to going over more details about about this, and I was so happy because <laughs> I was like, "Wait, am I really killing? Like, I'm not just sitting in here just to fill a space. Like, I'm actually killing penalties against this. I'm going to do that. Play, one of the best power. Yeah." I, you want me to stand where in front of who? Um, so that was that was kind of crazy, but I was really glad we went over a little more detail on what we were doing on the PK. And trust me, if we we got the puck down the ice, I was off immediately. I think I had ten to fifteen second shifts on the PK that game. <laughs> did did you have? Did was there a defensive zone draw with Ovechkin out there, and were you on his side? Um, I don't think no. Trotz knew what he was doing. He kept me off the ice when Ovechkin was on the ice. <laughs> I, I played actually. I played with Stahlberg and Wilson. One of the I couldn't believe I was playing with these guys. If that's your that's your fourth line, uh, man, that is a that's a really nice fourth fourth line. Well, no. minus me, it was it was a great great players to play with. Fast players, skilled players, smart players. So, um, but probably not the line you want to play against Ovechkin. Yeah, probably not. Probably yeah, yeah, not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you get to the point. I mean, by by this point, you are. I mean, you're synonymous with Milwaukee. You've played more games than anybody in an Admirals jersey since the team joined the American Hockey League. Was it a difficult thing to to finally leave the organization and and start your career overseas? Yeah, it it, it really was. I just really didn't know what I was getting myself into, and it been so familiar for so long. It was so nice being like, it was so comfortable here. Um, right. The people were so nice. Like it was just kind of like the routine, like showing up for training camp. I, you know, you're never worried about anything. Like you go to Nashville, you come here, like it's all, you've done it so many times. There's nothing to worry about. You just want to like, you just are basically just focused on, you know, getting better and having the best season you possibly can, but you're not really worried about anything else. Going heading overseas was you just I had no idea like what what the hockey was going to be like what it was going to be like off the ice like anything really the language Barry I had no idea but I was so sick of the drive to Rockford the drive to Iowa playing like the same teams over how many times did we play um, Grand Chicago Rapids and or Chicago I was so sick one year that one year we lost to Chicago we played them in the preseason we played them 12 times and we played them seven more times in the playoffs yeah I was just ready for something <laughs> new like really yeah I don't blame you I get it I get it Mark Van uh, Gilder is joining us here on the Milwaukee go ahead Charlie Milwaukee Admirals podcast yeah no I was just uh uh, let's talk a, a little bit uh, about some of the guys you played with here, uh, Van. Yeah. Um, and I think you almost have to start with a guy who's one below you in games played, at least in the yep. AHL, the the Sheriff, Fordo. Uh, yeah. Well, talk about Fordo a little bit. I don't even think I have to ask you a question. I can just say, hey, what, <laughs> what do you, what, what's Fordo to you? Yeah, Who does, you what does Fordo mean enough. to you? You've said enough. When I when I got to Milwaukee, him and uh, Yankman were kind of like the they were the leaders there. Forda was probably a leader in every locker room the moment he he stepped in. Uh, it was so much fun playing with these guys. Forda was such a great guy to be around. Every day going to the rink was fun. He he would lighten the mood if if we lost five in a row. He still had a smile on his face. He was still the hardest working guy on the ice. 
just a great guy to be around. If you if you ever plan a rookie party or you guys are going out or whatever, he knew everyone in town. He had he knew every single person. He had everyone's phone number. Just the best guy to have on your team. Um, and a guy that, again, would do anything for anyone. He'll fight anyone for, for you. He'll, you know, he'll uh, – He'll room with Kevin Fiala on the road when he, his, first, <laughs> his first week in North America. A guy that never complained once, I don't think, in his entire career and was just like kind of the ultimate team guy. Uh, uh, and if oh, you're sorry. About if, no, if, if I was thinking about when you, asked, when you asked me to do this yesterday and you're like, oh, yeah, I was just talking about Admiral stories. I was like. Okay, which one of the thousand do we tell about Scott Ford? So I don't know. If, I say, if go, wanna, go ahead. If pick, pick. Pick. Yeah, yeah I, we do. Pick one or two. Uh, man. I, I guess one of my favorites, I didn't witness any of this. I, it might have even been the year before I got there. The pizza incident. I don't know yeah, if you oh guys yeah. remember this one. <laughs> oh, oh, we yeah. talked about that, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. A lot, I don't know. People, everyone in, everywhere in, around Milwaukee, maybe North America has probably heard the story. So I'll keep it really short. I just wish I could have seen it happen in person. I don't know, There was maybe a concert. or a, I think it was actually a Bucks game or something. Marquette. It was a basketball Marquette game. game. Marquette okay. game. Marquette game. Ford Ozer, he's probably sitting courtside, probably next to Aaron Rodgers. I, who knows what, who, who, he, who he was with, who he was sitting by. But anyways, like he's having a great time. He probably had a couple drinks. Like, I don't know. But he he's uh, the game's over, almost over. I don't know. He has, he's walking out the back the, at the Bradley Center through like the security the security exit, and he sees I don't know, I think a stack of pizzas or something. And oh yeah. At like like four to, he's like I this is probably for me like. I'm a pretty important guy around here. I'm, I'm sure no one will mind if I take one of these. So he grabs a pizza, and as he's walking out, he's already into. He's probably two slices deep already, eating this pizza. And uh, the next morning, he thinks nothing of it. Gets in his car, leaves. The next morning, he gets called into the office. I think it was Lane. I, I'm pretty sure it was Lane. It was Lane. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh! If you guys want to pick up the story from here, I wasn't around during this, but I can probably well, you could probably hear it from your office, Charlie. I was around <laughs> for this, and our office oh, was man. across the street at the uh, yeah. Panther Arena, and I probably still yeah. could hear Lane snapping. <laughs> but it was, yeah, we we call it PizzaGate. I actually, yeah. <laughs> it, it was so serious that the. the you know, Steve Costello is involved, and he's the CEO of the Bradley Center, and they're they're calling Harris, our owner, and so I go up. I don't know who's done this, and I go up to Fordo, who is new on the team, but he's you know he's he's got a reputation. He's a good leader, and he and I was like Fordo, you know, I don't know who did this, but a lot of people are pissed about this right now. So you know, some dumb rookie took a pizza last night, leaving the game. And all of a sudden, Fordo gets that big old smile on his face, like, oh, yeah. Right. you know, the smile. And he's like, yeah. yeah, Charlie, that was me. I was like, oh, gosh. Oh, you're kidding yeah. me. So then it was it yeah. was like Nashville's involved and they're, you know, oh, hey, you can't – we're not going to be able to use – you can't play with nice toys anymore type of thing. It was, yeah, exactly. it was pretty nuts. It was I wish nuts. I could have seen the video. I'm, I I wish I could have seen the video. I think Lane showed him. We have a they have you on camera eating the pizza. They did. They did. Yeah, they did. I wish I could have seen that. I have one more for you, and this is a very rare Scott Ford story because he is completely innocent in this one, which is unreal. all right. Let's hear it then. I, I don't know if I don't know if you remember this. I, I'm sure you'll remember the game. We went to Toronto for a school game. Do you guys remember yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, um, sure, so we absolutely. Get there, I don't know in the, in the afternoon, and I don't know if this is a good idea or not. But three of Fordo's buddies from his hometown came that, <laughs> that weekend. Yeah, they got to. Tra- do you know? You remember this, Aaron? At all? Yeah, yeah, oh I do. Oh my gosh! I so, do. so they got in er- before we did. I don't know, early in the morning or the night before or something. They're already in Toronto. Seems like they're for they're there for a week already. Who knows? Maybe it was a couple hours. But we get there and we go. We have dinner and we have an early game. The, the school games for those of you that don't know are ten o'clock in the morning and it's just a million kids screaming their faces off. So um, we ha- we have an early night that night. So we have dinner. Guys go to bed. Um, and so 
Lane's our coach at the time. And I think maybe, I don't know, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, he gets a call from the front desk saying, we have three of your players down here in handcuffs. <laughs> in handcuffs. So, in handcuffs. So Lane is – and we have a school – we have a game in about seven hours. He – I can't imagine how pissed off he is. Fordo's buddies – how – what happened was his – I guess, like, always – Ryan Costello, who does everything for everyone, booked probably booked the hotel room, and it was under the admiral's, I don't know, account or something. So when the cops brought his buddies back, who knows what they were doing? I think they got into a fight or something at McDonald's or something. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> they got the the cops took him back to the hotel just because you know they they were being nice here. We'll just bring you to your hotel. You can be on your way. So the cops have him on the curb in handcuffs, and. Uh, they, they, I guess they, they ask him what room they're in. So they see that it's under the admiral's account. So the front desk thinks that the, the player, so they call Lane. And he comes down, smoke coming out of his ears. He is fuming. Uh, so he, but and this is this is the best part to me. We had a couple injuries. I think Nash with it too. We had a couple guys called up. We just called up uh, a few guys. Lane walks out and sees these guys in handcuffs, and he has no idea if there are players or not. <laughs> no idea. To hear him tell the story, he walks out, and the guy's like, are these your guys? And he's like, ah, I'm not sure. I, I think so. <laughs> Maybe. I'm not sure. But thankfully, these guys, uh, typical Northern Canadian, oh, coach, we're so sorry. This is <laughs> nothing to do with this. He had nothing to do with this. So they kind of explained what happened right away, and that that was fine. I remember the next morning, we had like a 5.30 a.m. pregame meal, and Lane's down there waiting for Fordo. Fordo comes down scratching his head. He's looking at his phone. He had about 65 missed calls and text messages. <laughs> and, uh, so that's where I heard the story. Lane filled him in right there. He's like, how are your buddy is doing? He's like, I don't know. I got a bunch of calls from him last night. But that that was hilarious. I, I'll never forget that one. Real quick, real quick, real uh, quick. I, I, I want to do um, one more Fordo story about uh, when he had to go bail out uh, the Finns in Houston <laughs> when uh, when they had a little too much fun at the at the. Actually, it was pretty innocent, but too much fun at the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that it was innocent from their their perspective. Finns, <laughs> the Finns are never innocent. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember that we were going to t- uh, to Austin. I think that, yep. that morning. I wake up, me and Thanger go down for breakfast, and we're like, what's going on? Like, the Finns are missing. Like, what? <laughs> they're missing. And sure enough, oh, they're in jail. Like, they're in jail. How did this happen? So we're trying to get this resolved before uh, Coach comes on. I think it was her- Coach Herbers. Herbie, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we're, we're all scrambling. This is bad. Oh, my gosh. We got to figure this out. He comes down. He's like, what's going on? We're like, oh, coach. Fordo's like, I, I I don't know how to tell you this. The Finns are in jail. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he was that surprised. He was like, okay, well, everyone get on the bus. Let's go bail them out. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so Fordo tells me, he's like, I need, I need some backup. You come in with me. I'm like, all right, sounds good. We go in there. There they are. Just sit there. There they are sitting around like. The three guys with their shoes in their hands putting the laces back in. Bro. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this is priceless. I felt bad. Um, Super Dave had won the the Super Bowl squares the day before, and uh, we had to take all his winnings to bail the guys out. <laughs> Go to the front of the bus, like Dave. I, we're really sorry, but you're gonna have to you're gonna have to hand that. We, over we need your money back. Yeah, we need your money. Um, oh my gosh, it was so funny. So we walk in, we bail them out. They come walking on. I'll never forget it. We're walking out the sidewalk. They're putting the laces back in their shoes, and every <laughs> single guy has his phone out. And he's filming it. Just every guy <laughs> from the bus. Oh, that was so funny. That was so funny. They got off pretty easy, actually. I don't know what they actually did. I heard a couple different stories from different people, but they only had to do a couple hard laps after practice the next day. So. It was, it was, it was, uh, all in all, a pretty innocent, innocent night from their perspective. Yes. And, yes, uh, indeed. Yeah. No, no indeed. harm, no done. No, no harm, no foul, I guess. Charlie, you got anything uh, else? I think that's a great way to wrap up here. 
Well, we talked about you're going to be back next year in uh, in Switzerland. Hopefully, we get uh, all this uh, disease and everything straightened out, Mark. And uh, bef- before we wrap up, um, like I said, you you became synonymous with Milwaukee Admirals hockey, uh, all time leader in AHL games played, and uh, you were part of the last team that won a playoff game in Milwaukee. I, it's 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 pretty amazing what you did. When you look back at your time in Milwaukee, uh, what comes to mind for you? What do you take out of it? Yeah, man, I had a lot of fun playing the game here. A lot of fun living here. Really, the the relationships I made, the the guys I played with here, not just played with the guys that I played for, and honestly, going to nine thousand different schools with Charlie, um, talking to kids, the the relationships I made here, uh, I'll never forget. Honestly, it's uh, really priceless. Um, getting to know you guys, getting to know. Lane Lambert, Dean Evison, you know, Roman Yossi, Scott Ford, um, Nolan Yonkman. These guys um, were so much fun to play with, so much fun to, to get to know. Um, and if you're going to have a six-hour bus ride, you know, there's not a better group of guys <laughs> <laughs> to go with. So really, the, the playoff games, the winning's great. Winning's fun. Scoring big goals is fun. But looking back, what you really remember is the friendships you made along the way. Um, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why I stuck around here so long. I love playing here. The staff was always good to me, and I always had fun coming to the rink. Great way to end. That's Mark, we awesome. can't thank you enough. Best of luck to you. Thank you, thank you ahead, man. I, I was just going to say thanks of for coming course. on. Of course. Yes, we really appreciate it. Yeah, we I really hope, appreciate it. I hope they can pick up where they left off whenever, uh, whenever that does happen, because these fans deserve uh, another championship here, that's for sure. We're looking forward to it. Uh, Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Mark Van Gilder joining us. Uh, Thank you for listening. For Charlie Larson, I'm Aaron Sims. This has been a Milwaukee Admirals podcast.